Blog Talk Radio. From Life in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hey there, and welcome to today's program. Uh, and welcome to your weekly serving of collaborative problem solving. We do this every week, except during the summer, uh, to make sure that uh, parents have the opportunity to learn about collaborative problem solving, get the support they need, get guidance on aspects of collaborative problem solving that are hard for them to implement. And boy, this collaborative problem solving, it can be hard to implement, at least while you're getting good at it. Then, not so much. Um, Although raising a behaviorally challenging child tends to always be challenging, um, collaborative problem solving can make things a whole lot better. That's not only my experience, that's what the research tells us. Um, very exciting study drawing to a conclusion at the Virginia Tech Child Study Center right now, a five-year National Institutes of Mental Health funded study where we've been uh, replicating uh, a study that uh, I directed uh, and published back in 2004 uh, comparing collaborative problem solving to the reward and punishment approach and the data from Virginia Tech look pretty much like what the uh, data from my study say. Um, it works. Of course, it's hard, and that's what this program's for. It works, but it's hard. As a school principal I know likes to say, it's fundamentally simple, and it's really hard. This collaboration stuff, I don't know, hard. We're not used to it. We're used to Plan A. Most of us were raised on Plan A. Of course we're used to Plan A. I wonder what the next generation of kids, how well they'll do it collaborating on problems if we raised them on Plan B. Well, before I go too far down that road, um, we're not going down that road today because it's Parents' Panel Day, one of the most exciting programs of the month, of course. Uh, This is where our parents panel, Susie, Peter, and she's not with us yet, Sharon, we'll see if she remembers, um, get together and uh, chat about challenging kids, collaborative problem solving, what's going on out there in the world of challenging kids. Um, I think I'll bring them on now. Susie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi, how are you? I'm good. You? Good, thanks. Peter, welcome to the program. Hi. Um, here we go again. Another parents panel 
program. Either of you have anything on your minds today? Um, I'll let Susie go first, but I have something to ask. All right. Where, when, or how to use the CPS model, particularly Plan B, when a situation arises where working it out is just not possible? For example, one has a... give an example. Okay. I think I'll give an example. Please give an example. (laughs) One has a teenage daughter about to leave for a party that you don't want her to go to. Anyone you you know? Uh, yes. (laughs) Okay, go on. You just learned about the party right then and there. She's 14 years old, and the party is at a senior boy's house, so he's about 17 or 18. Ideally, parents need to anticipate and collaborate with the child before these situations happen, because it can get tricky when you're in the heat of the moment of an unsolved problem. When the child says, look, I'm going to the party, and you say, let's talk about this, and the kid is not receptive to talking, I'm looking for Dr. Green's, Peter's, and others' perspective on the kind of situation that comes up a lot. It's the same three options. I mean, what you're basically describing is a heat-of-the-moment unsolved problem. Mm-hmm. So it's an unsolved problem just like any other unsolved problem. The downside is that is the timing issue. It's occurring in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Your, other, the other part of the story is that the child, the 14-year-old, who probably wouldn't appreciate being called a child, but the kid, um, has already put her solution into the mix. So she's not in collaborative problem-solving mode at that moment. Uh, she's saying, I'm going. Maybe she's even saying, try to stop me. Or maybe she's got a little attitude. I guess that's a little attitude. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's got a little more attitude than that, and she's dropping F-bombs and um, asking you what you're going to do about it. But it's hard to... So bottom line is you got three options. Plan A, you're not going. And if you go, you're going to pay the price. Or I'm going to do what I need to do to keep you from going. That's A. Um, B, I I really want to talk about this with you because I know that you say you're going, but there are some things that I'm not comfortable with about it. I'm not saying you're not going. I'm just saying this is something I'd like to talk about before you go so that uh, my concerns can be addressed. Her ride is Excuse me, Dr. Green, her oh. ride is coming in five minutes. Her ride is coming in five minutes. Her, that, So we've got at least five minutes to do Plan B, mm-hmm. maybe longer. There's other ways to get to the party. Plan C, okay, go this time, but we've got to talk about this when you get home. Those are still your three options. But now we need to fill in a little context. I sure do hope this isn't the first time we've done Plan B with this kid. Otherwise, we're going to be in tough shape because we have no Plan B pattern to fall back on. 
We have no plan B collateral to fall back on. We may have a kid who's responding to us as if what we're really doing is plan A because that may be what she's used to. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't call this the ideal first timer for plan B, and I would predict that if it's the first timer for plan B, it's not going to go very well in emergency plan B. But now let me backfill even further. If we're really doing collaborative problem solving, then we've already completed the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. We've got a good handle on who this kid is because we've talked about and thought about what skills she's lacking. We, and this is especially important, have a good handle on what the unsolved problems are. And not only that, we have a good handle on what problems we're prioritizing and which problems we're not prioritizing. And so now I have the opportunity, assuming that this is not the first time we're using Plan B and we're not just doing what we might call shot-in-the-dark collaborative problem solving, we're actually doing it uh, you know, in the way it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. The first thing I'm going to ask myself is, is this one that we're working on right now? Is this B or C? If it's C, I know what my answer is. Okay, go. If it's one that I didn't anticipate, it's probably C right now, but with a great deal of thought being given to whether this should move up into B. If it's B, I'm asking myself, why haven't we talked about this yet? Um, How come I didn't see this coming? Parties was one of our high priorities. We haven't talked about it yet. Now I'm finding myself in the heat of the moment yet again. That's exactly where I didn't want to be. Now you've got a much tougher judgment call to make at that moment. That's a lot of the thinking that the adult would need to do before anything comes out of their mouth. And, of course, I haven't mentioned plan A. A is always an option um, if the adult has extremely strong feelings about what going to this party means for this kid. Um, Bottom line is in the heat of the moment, your options are nowhere near as good as proactively, and that's why the whole model is oriented toward deciding ahead of time what are we working on, what are we not working on, so we can deal with them so we don't find ourselves in the heat of the moment. What do you think of that answer? I think that's exactly right. I agree. I passed the test. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Now, A lot of parents are listening to that and Mm -hmm. thinking, really, really? You don't just tell her not to go to the party? Well, now there's one other pass at this that we haven't taken, and that is um, I suppose if this is a quote-unquote regular old kid, as I always say, you can get away with plan A with a regular old kid. Um, and so you are in better shape just saying no to a regular old kid. I think the older regular old kids get, the more difficult just say no becomes, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But you can get away with no, just say no, plan A, with a regular old kid. If this is a ch- behaviorally challenging kid, Well, plan A causes challenging behavior and challenging kids because 
they don't have the skills to deal with imposition of adult will. And so there's a much bigger price to be paid for doing plan A with a challenging kid. Now, by one way of thinking, not my way of thinking, but by one way of thinking, no is exactly what this kid needs. And the parent should um, just buck up and be willing not to be liked. And um, my attitude would be, well, that's fine. You can buck up and not be liked on that Saturday night. What about the following Saturday night and the Saturday night after that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, you know, I always say if it's a safety issue and it's the heat of the moment, right. A is an option. Um, that's why in the heat of the moment you still have three options. I tend to be more inclined toward emergency B than emergency A. Emergency A is there if people need it. Uh, you want to not need it is the bottom line. Hmm. Peter, did you have any thoughts? I know you're a little away from that scenario, but I'm, I'm starting just to enter into that phase where things are coming up, uh, play dates and things, but uh, it's not parties with 17 year olds yet where mm-hmm. there might be uh, other things going on. Um, I think the key is to really practice doing plan B a lot beforehand on smaller issues and then getting good at it so that the um, the ability to bring it up in a plan B mode can take place in that five minutes um, or or try to get that uh, the relationship going ahead of time uh, by using plan B. I think that, that uh, that's the key to it. Well, and I think you're making a very good point. Um, in a vacuum, it's always hard to answer a question like that. But if there's been a fair amount of plan B going on, then communication has improved. Uh, Relationship has improved already. And those factors alone reduce the likelihood that a parent will find themselves in that situation in the first place. Stuff like that does pop up. It's just that improving communication and improving relationship, which Plan B accomplishes um, also reduce the likelihood that a parent will find themselves in that sort of a situation to begin with. Peter, what's on your mind today? Well, um, I had a question about uh, swearing, but let me fill in a little bit. Um, my older son is doing better, quite a bit better, and what we what we notice is that. Um, he has, when we did the assessment of lagging skills, he has some difficulty um, regulating his emotions when when he's frustrated or, or he gets he gets frustrated easily. Um, and sometimes he gets frustrated, he'll hit and, and break things, but that's not, we don't see that very much anymore. Instead, he switched to um, saying things, uh, swearing a lot more. And I think that's an improvement, but, but it tends to... Um, hit my plan A buttons a lot more than before. I, I, it, it, it really bothers me. Um, so I, I'm not sure what to do about it. Susie, what do you think? Hmm. Um, let's see. I think... Peter, refresh our memories. What's the 
what's the unsolved problem? What's pushing your buttons exactly? Well, usually um, for my son, it's when he needs to make a transition. Uh, for example, he might be uh, watching TV or reading a book, and it's time to um, go to bed or time to leave for an activity or something like that. Okay. Um, then he'll start to the, the, the switch that he has trouble with. And then in the past, he would um, maybe have a challenging episode, but now he's just starting to swear more, uh, which is an improvement. I, I think it's an improvement. He, he's he's verbalizing, um, but... We just got to get some better yeah. words. Yeah, I guess that that's probably it. Um, so we noticed something when, when, when we were when we were trying to talk about emotions with him, we, we had a discussion about frustration. And he says, when he's worried, he's also angry. When he's sad, he's also angry. When he's angry, he's angry. Um, so anger comes into a lot of his emotions. They get mixed in. And and uh, we're just, one of the things we're trying to do is is to separate it out by, by clarifying with words um, how he feels. Well, I gotta, you know, we he does need different words, but I don't usually work on swearing directly. I usually okay. work on the unsolved problems. I don't usually work on any behavior directly. Not swearing, not hitting, not spitting, not kicking, not throwing, not destroying. Those are things that kids do when there is an unsolved problem that is still unsolved. What I find is that when we solve the problem, we don't have swearing over it anymore. Now, the unsolved problem that you mentioned, difficulty making transitions, yes. is a very vague one at the moment. I'd want to split that into multiple unsolved problems, namely those that uh, the transitions he's having difficulty making. Now, you mentioned two of them. But I don't remember. I remember one was moving from the TV to something else, and another was the from dinner the table. table to the dinner table. Yeah. Another was from reading to what's he having trouble moving from reading to? Uh, reading to um, going to bed where it's lights out. Reading to uh, the dinner table. Reading to leave to his karate uh, practice. Um, reading to going to school in the morning. Those are, believe it or not. Four or five unsolved problems? They're all separate unsolved problems. Okay. Now that, and this is an interesting point. Many people talked about that in my workshops lately. Many people try to clump unsolved problems. But the reality is, and I think I talked about this on the radio program for educators a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. Mm. Susie, you might remember better than me. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, uh, Yes, you uh, did. A teacher was having difficulty, a kid was skipping classes. And that's a clumped unsolved problem at the moment. It becomes, when we split it into the classes that the kid is skipping, um, they actually become easier to solve, believe it or not. But when they're clumped, they're actually not easy to solve at all. It may feel efficient to clump them into skipping classes or making transitions, but it's not. And here's why when we gathered information from the kid about the classes the kid was skipping, it turned out that she was skipping music for completely different reasons than she was skipping math. And therefore, 
the solution to the skipping math problem would be completely different than the solution to the skipping music unsolved problem. She was skipping math because she didn't understand the material. She was skipping music because she never intended to be in band and play an instrument in the first place. She's a singer. Two completely different unsolved problems now, and the solutions to them are going to be completely different. Transitions. Your son may be having difficulty moving from TV to dinner. That unsolved problem, which we're now splitting, not clumping. Clumping would be difficulty making transitions. Splitting is difficulty moving from TV to dinner, difficulty moving from reading to getting ready for school, reading to getting ready for bed. Those are three different unsolved problems, and there may be three completely different solutions to all three. We don't do ourselves any favors by clumping. Splitting is where the action's at. Now, one more point. We may find, after we've split, that there are some similarities between the unsolved problems that we split, and the solution to one may have relevance to another, but I'd rather split first and clump later than clump first and split later, if that makes sense. Yeah. So okay. what are the one or two that are driving you to plan A, uh, causing the most problems? It's probably a transition. any transition that leads to a meal is the one that is driving me crazy because mm-hmm. the meal tends to, um, if we don't have the meal at a certain time, then things can run over. Uh, so that's it, it, that one is the one that uh, seems to drive the day a little bit more than others. Which, which, I, so, I, so transitions to meals? To meals, yeah. We, we um, try to keep a r- routine for meals, and if if we run late, uh, then everything can can be affected. Sounds like you've got uh, so some unsolved problems to work on, Peter. We do. But you're going to be a lot more successful working on them if you are splitting them rather than clumping them. Well, that makes a lot of sense. We were actually able to solve one of our younger son's problems by splitting. Um, Let's hear it. He was having... He was having trouble going to school, and he was also having trouble going to his um, dance practice. And the one going to school, it turned out, when we drilled for information, was because um, he was worried about um, wetting himself at school or, or going pee. And so we, we, what we had to do was back up the, um, the morning routine so he had time to go to the bathroom beforehand. And then it made it so he he didn't um, he wasn't so worried about going to the bathroom at school, which was a completely different problem than wanting to reluctant uh, being reluctant to go to his dance practice. He, he just wanted his parents or his brothers just to watch him during the practice. So as long as we were close by, then he was more likely to go. Wow, amazing what you find out when you're. Uh solving problems with kids. And, of course, that's the main point. We talked about this a fair amount on the educators program yesterday. One of our educators panel members was a little late to the program because she had um, been talking with a kid. 
and she was saying she never really made it through the three steps of Plan B. She didn't even make it out of the empathy step, but she sure did learn a lot about this kid that she didn't know. And um, now she is well-positioned to solve problems with this student who's been having difficulty in her school. So often we bypass the information that the kid could be giving us and head straight for our notions about what a solution should be. Not only is that called Plan A, that's a good way to get kids to stop talking to you because they figured, why talk? You've already got the answer. You don't have any of the information that you needed to actually come up with the answer, but somehow you came up with it anyways. Um, Fascinating way of solving problems that we humans sometimes rut into. And um, too bad that collaborative problem solving is so hard. This is uh, something we ought to make sure that human beings get good at. Yes. Can I ask another question? Of course. I have two children, and we notice that the younger one is copying the older one in swearing. In swearing? In swearing, yes. What do you do about that? You, well, it depends on the conditions in which the swearing is occurring in the younger one. Okay. Um, One good way to get the younger one to stop copying is by solving the problems that are causing the older one to swear then the swearing won't be there anymore. Right. But I would but I wouldn't treat it as copying. I often hear that it's copying. But I think that the younger oh. one is deserving of the same careful level of analysis that um we would do for the swearing of the older one. Mhm. So I wouldn't assume that it's copying. I mean, you're you're there, so you know what it looks like if he's sort of standing there with a big grin on his face and there's no unsolved problem whatsoever, and he's, you know, letting loose with words. Um, You know, you'd have to decide whether that's uninformed copying. Um, I remember once uh, my son, when he was about four or five, let out with one, first time I'd ever heard him come out with one, and of course I asked him if he knew that that was not a good word, and he didn't. Then he told me who he'd heard it from, so we knew that we had some other work to do, but um, I've never heard him swear since. He needed just to be educated, whether that's... I find that most kids know words that are okay and words that aren't by pretty young ages. Um, so one possibility is that he wasn't aware that these are words that ought not be used. My bet is that that's not true. But then he's deserving of the same careful level of analysis that the older one is. We've got to figure out the conditions under which he's swearing while making sure he is reminded that that's not how we would like him to express himself. Susie, anything to add to that? I really don't. That answer it, Peter? Yes, it does. It makes a lot of sense because he swears in only when he's frustrated as well, and it's just, ah. it just he's, it's uh, and some of the other um, well, we have to deal with the reasons why he gets frustrated, and a lot of them also have to do with transitions. That's why we were thinking it was copying, but he has his own issues about transitions with their own um, causes that are different from his older brother. 
Good to know. That, that, that makes I, sense. Hear, I hear copying frequently. Um, and almost never do I find that it's copying. I find that the younger, usually the younger sibling, has unsolved problems um, of his own and that we need to figure out what those are too. I almost never find that copying is what's really going on. Very interesting. Oh, that that helps a lot. Thank you. That uh, clears things up. I I have some work to do then. You have some. <laughs> as always, you have um, another kid to focus on there, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have an interesting situation where the older one tends to have challenging behavior in an outward way, and the younger one um, is more subdued, and he will be very clinging. Um, and he, he'll shut down a little bit unless he uh, reaches a certain point, and then and then he'll have very challenging behavior. Um, Got it. Quite quite extreme, but but his his first reaction is to to shut down more. Interesting. You know, I've been um, working with uh, the v- various clinicians who I work with. Um, every week I help clinicians get and educators get better at Plan B and parents. And it's sort of interesting that um, there are some fairly prototypical things that people struggle with in the model. At the beginning of the program, I was saying that the CPS is fundamentally simple but really hard. Mm-hmm. But the good news is yeah. the hard parts are identifiable. Um, The longer I help people do this model and the more the model continues to evolve, the more explicit I become about what parts are hard. And um, that makes it easier for people because we can give them the information they need and the help they need almost before it gets hard so as to sometimes ward off getting hard. One of the things that can be hard, I'll take them one step at a time. Well, I'm going to, before I get to the steps, we've talked about a few things that are hard today. One is that a lot of people try to implement Plan B emergently rather than proactively. And boy, does that make life much harder. You don't want to deal with the kid saying she's going to a party in five minutes with a friend picking her up as your primary form of Plan B. I always say emergency plan B is there if you need it, but you don't want to need it. So timing is one big way in which things go awry. Now, um, let me ask you both. Is that one that you both have struggled with at various points? Oh, absolutely, especially especially in the beginning. It's, um, well, it's like, trudging through quicksand you just you you get stuck a lot and surprised a lot um but then i think as one gains the skills of and um becoming familiar with the model you're able to uh sort of think a few steps ahead and anticipate some problems coming down the pike and have those discussions proactively. 
Peter, how about you? It sounds like you've been trying to deal with transitions in the heat of the moment. And yes. like a lot of human beings, finding that the more heat there is, the more inclined toward plan A you are. That's very true. I think where I'm making my mistake is that I'm not prioritizing properly. Um, I guess I'm having difficulty determining what is a priority and what isn't a priority, and what becomes a priority is what just comes up, and the intensity of which it comes up determines the priority, and that's not the way it should be. Right. I think I need to back up and and, uh, decide what problems I'm going to put my energies in and which ones I will defer to plan C. Perfect. Perfect. Another place where things can get hard is um, in the very beginning of the empathy step with how we word our initial approach to the child about what it is what problem it is that we want to solve. If we're clumping, we're saying something like, I've noticed you're having trouble making transitions. What's up? If we're splitting, which is far preferable, because I think the response you're likely to get to, I've noticed you're having trouble making transitions, what's up, is highly likely to be, I don't know, or silence. If we're splitting, we're saying, I've noticed that when it's time to stop reading and come in for dinner, that's hard for you. What's up? Much better. You now have a kid who is actually comprehending what it is that you're asking about. Perfect. Either of you ever have trouble with that one? Peter, we know that that one could have been causing you trouble on the uh, transitioning one. Uh, That come up in other instances for either of you? Sure. It's it's hard to boil it down and to really understand what's going on with the kid, what the unsolved problem is, what skills. But the Well of course now the unsolved problem isn't going to include skills. It's just going to be the unsolved problem, the expectation the child is having difficulty meeting. Right. Well I think I think the also is a is a godsend and that truly mm-hmm. helps to um clarify what it is you need to do and what what the kid's lagging in. Peter, how about you? You know, I was just thinking about your description of uh, making that transition, and and something occurred to me. Um, Sometimes we have a situation where the older child, where we're successful in getting him to make the transition, but the younger child has difficulty making that transition, and then the older child tries to act like a parent and enforce the younger child to make that transition, which is a completely separate problem. I hadn't actually um, recognized it as such uh, until now. But uh, then then we have a challenging behavior occurring uh, from both children because one is being essentially... The older one is doing plan A on the younger one, and that that triggers... um, challenging behavior, but it it emerges from this need to make a transition. Another place where it can get hard, and this is is pretty much, this is the hardest for almost everybody, is drilling for information. Once, Mm -hmm. after you say what's up, and the child 
responds almost never is the first response going to give you the clearest sense of the kid's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem, and that means you're going to have to drill for information. Um, How hard has that been for both of you? Extremely difficult. But could I just go back to uh, what we were just talking about? I think what I wanted to say, and I don't think I'm alone, but I'm not, it's not my forte to think quickly on my feet so that, you know, really using the ALSEP helps me ahead of time because I'm familiar with it. And it also helps that I'm not um, always, you know, so articulate. And again, it's, it's just been such a helpful tool for me. But Drilling, um, yes, I, I still to this day work on it. And, you know, I my tendency is to still stop a bit short of gathering the clearest understanding of the problem. So I'm still working on it. You know, sometimes people ask me, I always say, that what you're looking for in the empathy step is your aha moment, that moment at which you say, aha, Mm -hmm. I finally understand this kid's concern or perspective on this particular unsolved problem. And people often say, how do you know when you've had your aha moment? Right. And, of course, I have trouble offering an algorithm, but I have a good strategy for knowing if you've had your aha moment. After you've... Um, drilled for information and you think you've had your aha moment you can always say to the kid "All right, so here's what I understand so far is there anything else I should know is there anything else about this that you can tell me and at the point at which you're convinced that the kid has nothing else to tell you Mm -hmm. you've probably had your aha moment that's great. And people are finding that to be a useful strategy. That's very helpful. Peter, how's yeah. drilling been for you? Drilling's been torturous. <laughs> it's <a bit> torturous. <laughs> I think the problem the the problem that I'm having is that um at least with my older son, I'm not making appointments enough with him so that he's in the frame of mind where drilling can be effective. Um I think when I try to do collaborative problem solving. It takes away attention from something that he's already doing, and then we're back to the transition problem. So if I prepare him more, I think I'll have more success. And I, I so think that sounds like a timing issue. Running into problem. Right. Yeah, I think, Dr. Issue. Green, you can't say enough about timing. It just, it's just... It's massive. Yep. And we are yeah, so and I don't know. Go ahead, Peter. I don't know a good time. I, I don't know whether to make it uh, part of a routine where it's, you know, more likely to happen at a a certain time of day or if I just bring it up quickly to make an appointment. I don't know what the best strategy is. Uh, Number one, it's something you could talk with your son about. Um, Of course, you'd have to find the time to do that. I'm big on recommending that people 
make an appointment with the kid to do plan B. Otherwise, and this is always interesting, you're trying to do plan B proactively, but you're still springing it on the kid. You might not be in the heat of the moment, but you're still surprising him. Mm. Um, but it's not a bad thing to be talking with the kid about would he prefer to be um, – would he prefer to have a set time that you guys talk? Would he prefer that an appointment be made as necessary? Does he have any other ideas? The unsolved problem is that you've noticed that whenever you want to talk to him, he's in the middle of something else, and that makes it hard for you guys to talk. When my son was about that age, we used to uh, have – a weekly meeting that he could bring up his concerns, you know, problems that have come up um, during the week. Sometimes you might need more than one meeting um, per week. And, you know, I would keep a little notebook problems that I saw on my side. And, you know, we just had that time to talk. Mm. Did you find that helped a lot? I I just cannot say enough about making an appointment with your kid to talk. It has um, improved things immensely. And the kid mm. just, you know, really appreciates it. I mean, think about just as an adult, if you're rushing to get out the door or whatever and your spouse um, surprises you with something that they need to talk about right then. And you're usually, you know, you're happy to talk about it, just not right then and there. Yeah, that's a good point. Timing is everything. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm thinking we're going to have to continue the discussion of what's hard on our next parents panel, but let's do let's do one more. And by the way, if people need tips on drilling, um, there's basically five drilling strategies, but I'm going to do a um, hot topic on this whenever I can get a chance to do it. That's timing is everything there too. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a hot topic on just drilling for information so that people can listen to it anytime they want. Um, so that's coming. That'll be on the Lives in the Balance website when it's done. Um, now we've got two minutes left in the program. I don't think that's enough time to talk about, well, I guess we could talk about the define the problem step and what's hard about that. What's hardest about that, this is where the adult is getting their concern on the table, is that adults frequently don't know what their concerns are. They're, they actually better know what their solutions are. How, how's that been for both of you? Um, I'm just trying to think of an example that just came up. Peter, can you go first? Sure. Um, I find that we're able to get our concerns on the table more easily than our children are able to get their concerns on the table, but um, I think we often jump to solutions too quickly. That's something that um, we're having problems with. And then the... the, uh, the define the problem step becomes really muddied. That's that's uh, I think where we're running into problems. Very common for parents to be 
very eager to put, put the function into play, uh, either in the invitation or in the define the problem step. We'll have to talk about that one a little bit more the next time. Susie, this is what you get for being deferential. You, <laughs> now you're, you don't get to say what you wanted to say. So, But this has been a great parents panel. I hope it's been, I'm sure that it has been, helpful to our listeners. I want to thank both of you for joining in today. We're going to find out what happened to Sharon. And I look forward to talking to both of you again next month on the next Parents Panel. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye, guys.